Hi, and welcome to Poetry Aloud. I'm your host, Hannah Russolo. On Poetry Aloud, I connect with other contemporary poets and read their work. We communicate back and forth over email or over Skype, and I ask them the following questions. Why did you choose these words? What were you feeling when you wrote this poem? What were you hoping to communicate? What would you like us to know about your poetry? Every week, I read one poem that they chose from their collection and one poem that I choose from their collection. Then, I talk about their work and provide some insight into what they were thinking while writing and what I was thinking while reading. At the end of the show, I read some of my own poems and provide you with ways to join this little poetry community that I'm trying to create. Welcome to Poetry Aloud. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Poetry Aloud. Um, Thank you so much for listening to the first episode. It meant a lot to see all of your thoughts, your comments, your tweets, your retweets, your likes, your reviews. Man, I can't believe uh, I already got one review. It, It really just makes everything that I do so worth it. Poetry is something that certainly can be enjoyed alone, but it's just so enhanced if enjoyed with others. And I'm so glad that we get to share this gift of love and language uh, every single day, really, (laughs) at least for me. But I get to share this with you guys every two weeks, and that that really warms my heart. So this week, I'm going to be talking about Tapestry of Secrets, written by Carol Alina Aronoff. I reviewed Tapestry of Secrets on my website, uh, hannahrusolo.com, and I really enjoyed reading the book. It's been, it's a very different book from other poetry collections that I've read. Uh, Most of the poetry collections that I read tend to be more rooted in an experience or the body, um, and this book is actually a story, a historical story. This book is about a Jewish family living in Spain during the Spanish Inquisition. So it takes place in the past and it's about religious persecution and the effects that that can have on a family. And it's also about wondering how do we share traditions that are dangerous to be shared with our family and how do we keep ourselves authentic while also having to live this double life. I really enjoyed this book and the examination of what it's like to live a dual life, one that you show to the outside world that is unreal, fake, if you want to call it that, and one that you only show to your close friends that is the real you and how that can really affect your family and affect your upbringing um, and how you interact with the world. The first poem that I'll be reading um, from this collection, Tapestry of Secrets, is Carol's favorite, and she picked Los Secretos de Mi Abuelita. She said that she picked this one because it sets the tone for the book and lays out some of the secrets to follow as well as the risks that are to come, and so it's kind of just an entry point into this work. Almost all of the poems in Tapestry of Secrets are multilingual, which of course I love being um, bilingual myself. I love poems that have multiple languages in them because, you know, as I talked about last episode, often one language isn't enough to capture what you're really trying to capture. Um, But I've decided that for these poems, I will read them first as written, and then at the end of my reading, I will provide translations for you. 
Um, it's just the easiest way to do it. I don't want to break up the flow of me reading the poem with a translation, and I don't want to automatically translate it because that just takes away so much richness from this work. So I'm going to read it and then give you some translations at the end. So this is Carol's favorite, Los Secretos de Mi Abuelita. From a low branch, I watch Abuelita's house as the sun disappears on a Friday. Soft light flickers behind closed curtains. I want to ask about just-lit candles, the bowl of water and herbs in her room near Retablo of Santa Esterica, what she and Madrecita use it for each month. Some secrets ennoble their guardians. Others speak from dark closets in language we no longer understand. Why do we clean on Fridays, stop at sunset, not wear yellow? Lines in Abuelita's face are sculpted by what is hidden, veiling her true heart, devotion to el dio, exhaustion, the strain of keeping a gourd from breaking into a thousand pieces, of knowing whether to let the unrevealed be buried with her or pass along the joy and burden to another generation. Which road to follow when none is marked by safety and the only certainty is risk? The weight of our ancestral soul map. Standing vigil next to fields of corn and squash, the ordinariness of white sheets and petticoats on a clothesline lend cover to any cracks in her fachada. I ask her why I love Santo Moises, but I don't like going to church. Esta en la sangre, pobrecita, is all she will say. So all the words in this particular poem, um, if they're not in English, are in Spanish. So here are the translations. The title of the poem, Los Secretos de Mi Abuelita, uh, means My Grandmother's Secrets. Abuelita means grandmother. Madrecita means little mother. It's a term of endearment. El Dio means God. Fachada means facade. And Esta en la Sangre Pobrecita means it's in the blood, poor little one. So as Carol said, this is the very first poem in the collection, and it really sets the tone for the entire collection. It begins with the persona's birth, kind of wondering as a young child, what are these things that are happening behind closed doors, these things that I'm not allowed to speak about? And with the grandmother wondering whether or not to, quote, pass along the joy and burden to another generation, end quote. Because that's the life they're living. It's, it's a life of joy and beauty and wonder, but it's also a life of oppression. And this question of, do I want to give it all wrapped up in a little bow to the next generation with the good and bad? Or do I want to just erase a part of myself and only give that part to the next generation? It must be difficult to know that this huge integral part of yourself could endanger your descendants that by keeping it from them you could be legitimately saving their lives um it's certainly not something that i've struggled with but i know that people struggle with this to this day and maybe this book will feel really familiar to them this feeling this wondering of how much do i give myself up um and why should i have to give myself up honestly um, for this dominant group, this dominant oppressive group, <laughs> what makes that worth it? If anything, it's not a question I can answer. I don't think it's a question anyone can answer for a different person. It's just something that you have to decide personally. So that brings me to the second poem I'm going to read tonight, um, titled Double Wedding. Double Wedding comes um, somewhere 
in the mid middle of the collection. It's taking place when the persona gets married, actually. So as I've said before, it's kind of chronological. So it starts out with the persona as a young child and then as an adolescent and then as a married woman and then as a woman with children and then as a grandmother herself. Um, and so Double Wedding, I think, really brings us to the crux of this collection, the crux of what this collection is asking, what it's asking the reader to wonder about and what it's trying to have us dive headfirst into. Okay, so here it is. Double Wedding. Mi hermana Rosa and I feel like ghosts in petticoats as we dress for the public wedding. Our piety in place like makeup will wash off tonight and replace in the morning. Abuelita's pearls adorn my neck like worry beads. My wedding shoes are filled with stones. Fear, the dry asequia, runs through each room of the house. My family and I pawns in a deadly game of hide-and-seek. Yesterday, as dusk descended, the true marriage joined two hearts and families in uncertain joy. Windows closed against the curious. Mi esposo and I fasted, then prayed, our hands bound together with white cloth. A simple meal from the same plate. Tortilla, apple, bitter herbs and honey. Wine from the same silver vessel. We vowed to honor the law of El Moises, heritage of awe and terror. Now we must enter church as los novios anew, my mask of forgetting held in place by an embroidered rebozo, my love and unspoken prayer. I will say the rosary for Santa Esterica as I dream of roses blossoming as grace, of children unburdened by lineage, by the need to not see what they see. The strain of charade on this day of sweets and ashes, eased only by familiar faces, my devotion to Hashem and mi esposo, Miguel. Um, so once again, most of the words in this are Spanish, um, but there is one Hebrew word. So mi hermana is my sister, Asequia is irrigation ditch, mi esposo is my husband, los novios, the engaged couple, and rebozo is shawl. And then the last word, Hashem, is uh, Hebrew for God. I really loved this poem in terms of both someone wanting to honor their heritage and knowing that they believe in their heritage, but also wishing that things were easier. Um, it's really easy to believe reading the book that maybe the um, her Jewish side is her veiled side, her Jewish um, heritage is what she's trying to hide, um, but obviously, ultimately, the persona's Christian life is the one that is is veiled. Um, it's the one that can be washed off, right? Um, quote, our piety in place like makeup will wash off tonight and replace in the morning, end quote. This fake piety, this fake person that is literally makeup that they put on to change their faces and then wash it off when they get home when they're safe and then put it right back on in the morning. Um, her true identity is the one that is persecuted, that is punished just for existing. Um, and toward the end of the poem, it starts wondering a little bit more, what does it mean for me and my family that we have to hide ourselves? And what will it mean for people of future generations if they have to hide themselves? Carol writes, quote, 
I dream of roses blossoming as grace, of children unburdened by lineage, end quote. Oh, man. <laughs> Burdened by lineage. I really, really love that, that line, this idea of a weight put upon you by the people who come before you and not even put upon you by those people, right? It's not like those people put the weight on you. It's, it's the world. It's society putting that weight on you. You know, intergenerational trauma is both something that is put upon you and something that comes through the world, um, and sometimes it's something that you do towards yourself. This whole question of how to break cycles of trauma is really <laughs> forefront in a lot of people's minds right now. Um, and that's kind of what this whole book, that's the question that this book is engaging with is how do we break these cycles of trauma? And if we can't break them, then what comes next? What happens if we can no longer show our true selves in everyday life, which is true for many people in this world, you know, um, queer people who cannot live as their authentic selves because of their families or the countries that they live in where it's literally illegal or punishable by death. It's not that they don't want to, it's that they literally cannot show themselves for who they truly are. <laughs> it's funny, I started this podcast by talking about how this collection was really um, a historical collection and how it takes place um, during the Spanish Inquisition and all of these things, but Many of these questions are still permeating our current discourse today. There's still things that we wonder about of, you know, even if we're in a point right now where maybe we are able to show our true selves more, able to pray to who we want, love who we want, all of these things, that wasn't really true for even the generation right above us, right? I'm a millennial, um, and... I think it's been a lot easier for me to talk about my queerness and my queer identity than it would have been if I had been a boomer. That's just the truth, right? Um, bisexual people kind of just had to go with the default because, uh, I mean, I guess we didn't have to, but it's certainly easier, um, especially back in the day, as much as I hate to admit it. Um, compulsive heteronormativity is <laughs> very present but putting all that aside, um, I really love that line, um, quote, of children unburdened by lineage, end quote. Um, I think that's what we all kind of want for our kids, right? I don't have any yet, but I definitely want them to be unburdened by any of the burdens that I carry. Um, and obviously, this is a different situation here because it's a question of, again, my, my lineage could conceivably, ultimately and in the death of my child. Um, but that's, that's the beauty of um, Tapestry of Secrets. It is a book that is very specific and very specifically rooted in someone's experience, but it manages to bring that specific experience to your door. Um, it manages to connect to things that you didn't think it would connect to. Um, thinking about the burdens of lineage, I... It speaks to me. <laughs> um, I'm not because my children might die if they um, show too much of themselves, but because if I pass too much of the bad stuff in me, who knows what will happen to them? Um, I think it, I think it's a big fear that a lot of parents have of, you know, what if my kids end up like me? <laughs> I would rather them have a different life. 
And Tapestry of Secrets really brings that to the forefront. Um, again, in, in a very different way, but poetry is about connecting strands and connecting things and connecting ideas. I think, too, what's great about Tapestry of Secrets is that it connects to you, but it also remains rooted in what it is. <laughs> it sounds a little contradictory, but here, wait me out, hear me out on this one. Um, so the experiences that Carol are describing connect back to what I'm experiencing, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling right now. They give me that in point. They give me the, the hook, right, as we say. Um, but once I'm hooked... I start to think, wow, this really is different from how I live my life. And this really is a specific moment and experience in time. And the fact that I was already hooked by the time I realized that it's different from me, I mean, incredible. It, it brings you in and then it shows you the world that the book is inhabiting, right? It brings you in and it shows you this is the life of these people. And that is absolutely invaluable. All right, as always, I'm going to finish this segment of the podcast with a little bit about Carol. Carol Alina Aronoff, PhD, is a psychologist, teacher, and writer who co-founded SAGE, a psycho-spiritual program for elders, helped guide a Tibetan Buddhist meditation center for seven years, taught Eastern spirituality and healing practices, imagery, meditation, and women's health at San Francisco State University for nearly 14 years. She received a prize in the 1999-2000 Common Ground Spiritual Poetry Contest and was twice a Pushcard nominee. She won the Tiger's Eye Contest on the Writing Life, and she has published two chapbooks, Corn Silk and Tapestry of Secrets, which was a finalist for the 2020 New Mexico Arizona Book Awards, and six full-length collections of poetry. Wow. The Nature of Music, Illustrated Corn Silk, Her Soup Made the Moon Weep, Blessings from an Unseen World, Dreaming Earth's Body with artist Betsy Miller-Kutz, and The Gift of Not Finding, Poems for Meditation. Currently, Carol Aronoff resides in rural Hawaii, working her land, meditating in nature, and writing. Man, I went to Hawaii once. I would love to live there. That's a beautiful place. There's a reason I live in Los Angeles, and it's because of the sun. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Um, here comes the final part of Poetry Aloud, where I read one of my own poems from Ocean Currents. Um, so last week I read By the Lake. This week I'm reading a different poem, which uh, surprisingly doesn't have any content warnings. So that's lovely. Let's get into it. I want a little honey while floating in the sea. A little sweetness to complement with the salt drying out my lips. A little honey to pour on my face while tears flow into the waves and feed the fish. Who knows? Maybe they want a different kind of salt. One that comes from up above, from rent and viruses and unemployment. It's so exotic, they would tell their fishy friends. And it even has a syrupy golden hue that blinds me so I swim without seeing what's in front of me. And that is charmingly dangerous. It gets the gills moving, the scales shining. Maybe I will feel their little teeth tickle my toes and my legs and my arms. But who knows if fish even have teeth? and there is no way I could get honey so far out from the shore. The people look squished from out here, but if I stop floating, the fish will surely eat me then.
Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Poetry Aloud. To receive updates about the podcast and submission calls, or just to say hello, follow me on Twitter at Poetry Aloud Pod or email poetryaloudpod at gmail.com. I also have a newsletter, so if you're interested in that, just let me know. If you'd like to support the podcast and my work, please consider donating at co-fi.com slash poetryaloudpod. That link is in the Twitter bio as well. Poetry Aloud is recorded, written, and produced by Hannah Russolo. The logo for Poetry Aloud was created by Sophia Tancredi, and the music was created by Violet Smith. Thanks so much, and until next time.